Hello, and welcome to the very first podcast of The Adventures of Yellow Peril and Magical Negro. Geek shit through a POV... <laughs> Damn, I fucked up. It's through okay, a POC it's the first lens. <laughs> Through a POC lens, there we go. Yeah, folks can hear us mess up the first time, and then they can uh, see us improve as we continue these, right? Exactly. So, so yeah. Um, so, we're going to start with Dragon Age, because you're clearly super hyped about Dragon Age. Oh, my God. So, hello, folks. I'm Magical Negro. I have been playing Dragon Age like no one's business for the last, like, three weeks. There's some problematic elements, lots, let's not lie. The fact that the first brown woman you can have on your team, Vivienne, um, has some really fucked up ideas of, like, how mages should be treated and how people should be treated. So, so are they doing the thing where the brown person is the most racist? She's not the most racist. She's definitely the most conservative. Hmm. Okay. Um, and also, I mean, spoiler alert, if you haven't gotten to her loyalty mission yet. Her loyalty mission, she's, one of her titles when she's announced is the mistress of so-and-so. I can't remember his name and I don't care. But her loyalty mission is trying to find some medicine to save this old white dude who's her lover. Okay. Which I'm like, okay, I, I understand this, but also, could you give us a brown person that was a love interest, possibly? Right. And also, I just, it, it feels... It feels like a problem when it's the first, like, dark-skinned character we've really gotten to interact with that we didn't create ourselves. Quick question. Now, um, I think someone mentioned, is she actually darker than what you can create as player characters? Yes, she is. Someone was mentioning, they said that they were irritated that they couldn't do darker skin tones, but you have characters who are darker skin tone in the game, so it's not an engine problem. No. Yeah, you can only go so dark with your skin tone when you craft your character. And I'm one of those people who always tries to make my character a person of color, make them dark, because, hello, that's how I look. Right. Um, but I will say, on the good side, they have um, their first trans character, who, unfortunately, you can't romance, which annoys me, but he's voiced by the woman who voices female Shepherd. Oh! Yeah. Okay. Yeah, all right. Yeah. Right? It's Jennifer Hale. Like, as okay. soon as Krem talked, I was like, wait, I know his voice. That's freaking Jennifer Hale. That's pretty awesome. Nice. He's a great character. You find out that the Quinari, who you've been, you know, who are always sort of looked at as outsiders that might be shady, actually have a cultural ideal of this. Like, they have a term for someone who's trans. They have trans people in their culture, which I think is super interesting and awesome in a way that we haven't gotten in any video games lately. It's kind of interesting because I really just saw posts go by where uh, some Samoan folks were talking about just how that's just part of their culture and that's how they roll. And it's like, you know, it's interest, It's messed up and interesting how we kind of have to end up going to fantasy to put things in that we've had history-wise, but colonialism is wiped away. Wiped away and is, you know, making visible, right? Right. Yeah. And totally, you know, and colonialism implanted in our in our heads that it was bad and horrible, so we can't even approach our own historical queerness with this sort of open mind, which annoys me. Right. But um, I do, I do like, I think Dragon Age is trying. I think it's one of those things where it's like, you know, two steps forward, one step back. I'm like, at least I've got a dark-skinned character, but... Mm. So, so let me ask a question, because I've really only played Mass Effect as mm-hmm. the main thing. Um, is Dragon Age more consistent? Like, I've had friends rant to me about how they're like, they try and do a race thing and they'll do it wrong, like, especially around the elves and stuff. Oh, but, like, God, yeah. But, like... Is it at least more consistent than the than like Mass Effect's big turnaround, where like Mass Effect started off with like, yeah, here we're going to deal with all this problematic stuff real critically. At the end, we're going to give you a white supremacist ending. Right? <laughs> like, like is is Dragon Age at least better about not doing that giant turnaround where you're like enraged? Um, it sort of is. I mm. think that their storylines are doing it well. Like, you always know that the elves are fucked are fucked over by this culture. You always right. know that. The thing that's annoying me about the third game is that they don't take your saves from game one and game two into consideration. So Hawk, who you played in the second game, shows up, and I looked at him, I was like, why is this this white dude? Because my Hawk was brown with gray dreadlocks, or gray cornrows. So I'm like, so why is all of a sudden this white dude Hawk? And he talks about Anders, who basically started off the war in the second game by blowing up a Chantry, as like, oh, he's sort of crazy and blah, blah. And I was like, um, excuse you, when I played the game, Hawk and Anders were lovers. 
and they went off together at the end. So it seems weird to me because it seems like you would like the smart thing to do would be like skip up a generation where you don't have character overlap, right? Like exactly. or have it take place in a different part of the world, like. And it, this one does sort of take place in a different part of the world. You actually get to explore um, Orlay, which is like their French equivalent. I will say they did this thing where they're like, we don't want to be problematic about basing countries on real life countries because then people get up, so they base them all on Europe. So it's like, I mean, the accents specifically. Oh, okay. So it's like all the Orleans, no matter their skin color, speak with a French accent. Okay. All the Antivans speak with a Spanish accent. All of the Taventers speak with like a more, well, actually, they don't really have that much of an accent. But it's an interest, the Navarans speak with sort of a Russian Germanic accent. Like, it's really okay. interesting. Oh, and, and here's the other thing. I remember this was one of the things that kept me out of a lot of Western fantasy games. Does, is it the majority of people speak with that British accent? They don't even, uh, I almost feel like the majority of people speak with just a uh, non-accented, like, American, I mean, American accent. accent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there, there are definitely a few that have, like, that upper crusty British thing. Okay. But also, the king of the country that I'm playing was my lover in the first game and never became king. So it's like all these things that I did don't seem to matter. Yeah. And I feel they've given you, I guess you can go online to Dragon's Keep and, like, craft a different history for your world and download that and play through Oh, it's like the PC mod so that you can... Yeah, you can go onto the Dragon Age website and they allow you to, like, play the whole game with a different history. Okay. Which is great, but I don't want to have to go through all that. Right, that should have just been a baseline assumption if you don't make these games connected. Exactly. Like, I mean, there are games, um, I do think there's games where they did sequels like, um, uh, Soul Reaver and all that, where, like, they, they, they took one decision from the first game and just said, okay, we're going to assume you make this decision. Yeah. But they were, you know, that was like PlayStation, and they weren't under the illusion that this was going to be like carryover choices, right? Exactly. And pretty much new fight of the week, right? Yeah. And often those games, you really only had one choice that wasn't you being a fucked up asshole. Well, they chose to make you a fucked up asshole, which is like, in that series work, right? Like, like you are the vampire, you're fucking everyone over, and that's what makes it awesome. Right? right? I'm not against that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I like the, I like Dragon Age Inquisition. I, like I said, I'm 115 hours in. Mm. I don't even think I'm close to done with the game. Because I'm, I'm an, I com, I'm a completist when I, when right. I play games. So I'm like, I want to finish all these mini quests before I go on to the bigger ones. I feel like, um, yeah, the games which I need to get back into, um, so Telltale Games, mm-hmm. like, I still haven't finished the first season of Walking Dead, just because it's so emotionally fraught for me. I, um, I have that on Xbox now, did I tell you? Oh, okay. Someone at my old job let me borrow it, and I'm not at that job anymore, so I don't know how they're going to get it back. Um, and so I, I have had it sitting there, and I'm just like, I saw the scenes when you were playing it, and I was like, I don't think I can go through that. Yeah, that's like, it's like, it's weird, it's like, I feel like I need a friend with me to hug. Right. Like, like it's like, like how you need a friend to play Silent Hill, it's like, I need a friend to help me deal with what I just did there, and what I had to see, like, like, I have to tell this little girl why I killed people, like, it's so hard. <laughs> but you know she has to know. She, no, no, she has to know she got survived the shit. Exactly. But I can't just be like, well, they had to go, like, I'm like, no, they had to go because they're the kind of people where, like, people gotta die, like... <laughs> I will say that's the thing about Dragon Age and Mass Effect, really. Bioware does this a lot. Yeah. Where you try and choose the Renegade option, and they take it to a level where you're like, I didn't want him to shoot her. I right. just wanted him to tell her to be quiet because she was ranting during the, you know, the cast yeah, 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 and whatever yeah. was happening. And so, like, Dragon Age is the same way. Like, they gave me some options, and I was like, oh, this is a snarky option. And my player played it like he owned them. And that's, that's, like, that's the worst one is when they give you a thing that looks like it's um like it's a relatively reasonable statement, and then you pick it, and your dupe goes all the way off. And you're right? like, you're like I didn't need you to do that. Like I feel Telltale does a better job because because generally what you can pick is what you get, right? See? Um, and there's also the fact that I think um some of the consequences like like you have room to make some choices, and it's not like that person hates you forever, instantly, it's like, you gotta do some shit like kill their dad before it's like, and then at that point you're like, yeah, okay, I get it, you and hate me. That's, <laughs> that's the scene I watched that you played, that's what's kept me away. I was like, that whole house with the crazy people, and the person you find legless, I was like, and done. This is not something I can play in my room at night. 
that's like that. That's like that. Uh, that X Files episode where they got the mom under the bed. Oh my god! <laughs> that X Files episode. You know, I think they don't replay that often at all. Like it's one of those episodes that they play like once every three years on reruns, and otherwise they're like, "Woo!" I didn't watch many episodes, but I saw that one. I saw the one where the dude guy's head froze by liquid nitrogen. <laughs> Did you? Oh god, they had some dark, dark episodes. And then sometimes they would end with random stuff. Do you remember the black and white episode? Mm-mm. It's like a kid who's basically like sort of kept in the house because he has some sort of, I didn't, I it's been years, he has some sort of physical deformity. Okay. And his mom like keeps him in the house and like the town turns against him because they think he's murdering people. Turns out to be someone else. But he loves Cher because he watches The Mask, which oh, is the movie okay. about Cher okay. and okay. her son. Right. And so, like, the whole episode ends with Mulder and Scully taking him to a Cher concert, where she, where it's obviously not Cher, it's an impersonator, singing Walking in Memphis. Like, literally, that's the end of the episode. And I was like, what's... Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I don't... I never got that deep in X-Files. I ended up getting deep into Millennium, which... Good what's first the- season. Mm, second season. Tried to recover third season, but, like, yeah. Oh, and... I mean, talking about old shows that were, like, X-Files-like... I freaking loved Brimstone. Mm, which I never pe- saw that. See, people don't remember this, but it was basically this, if I'm remembering correctly, because it's been, what, 15 years, but it was this guy who um, ends up dying and going to hell. He's a former cop. Mm-hmm. The reason he goes to hell is I think his wife is raped or murdered, okay. and he tracks down the guy, and instead of bringing him to justice, he kills him. Okay. And so he ends up in hell, and then something happens, and hell cracks open, and 113 souls escape. Okay. And the devil gives him the job of tracking down these souls. And if he gets recaptures them all, he gets to be on Earth again. Okay. And I thought it was fascinating because even though it was a sort of monster of the week episode, each thing, they really did, like, there's one woman who he's tracking down, she's an evil spirit. You come to find out her spirit is a Neanderthal spirit. That she literally belongs to this religion that's like 30,000 years old and believes in sacrifice. And I was like, that's super interesting. No one ever talks about, like, what about Neanderthal spirits? Right. If vampires exist, why aren't there Neanderthal vampires? Like, right, stuff right. like that. Um, oh, so, that, this is actually a good time to transition to comics, because that makes me think of this old comic, mm-hmm. um, The Coffin. Ooh. The Coffin was, I think, like, uh, I think they have one or two miniseries. Um, basically, the scientist dude, I can't remember how, he ends up dead, and he ends up going to hell, right? And they did an awesome job of depicting hell. Like, <laughs> like the, the part he was in, I think he was in the lust, he was in the lust, you know. Lust it, area. Yeah. Well, anyway, all you see is skeletons grinding against each other. Oh and it's God. described it to him. It's like, yes, they are filled with insatiable lust, but they have no flesh to enjoy it with. And it's like, anyway, so like, like the that's thing, a good one. The reason like it's it. called the coffin is because he was developing a technology that I guess could contain a soul. Mm-hmm. And so, Basically, someone brings him back to life by taking his soul and putting it into the suit. Oh. And it's the coffin, right? <laughs> and so he's basically in this weird, fucked up, full body suit and running around doing shit. And I just remember being like, this is dark as fuck, but I like it, you know, like, when you decide to cross, you know, your, your science and your mythology. Yeah. yeah. I think a lot of those old miniseries comics don't get enough credit. Because long-running comics are great, but often when you have a closed-ended comic, you're able to do super interesting stuff that you couldn't have done if it was just open-ended because you have to keep characters alive or do this. Right. And it's also like a thing where um, it's the problem that you get with any kind of serial publication that you basically have to keep publishing. Mm -hmm. So there's a point when it's like you ran out of good ideas. Yeah. And now you're just jumping the shark or rehashing shit because you just need to keep shuffling it out. Whereas it's like, no, 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 just... Let it sit. It's done. Let it sit. Yeah. And you know, if you have another idea, do another miniseries. Like, right. Um, what's that guy from uh, Chemical Romance? My Chemical Romance, he did uh, Umbrella Academy. Okay. And he did the first miniseries, which okay. was great. And then he did the second miniseries, which was also great. And now he has another one out that's supposed to be really good. I haven't had a chance to pick it up yet. Okay. But I was like, that's the smart idea. So, just real quick. So, yeah. um, I, I think I've told you about Psychopaths. Yes, you have. Uh, what I think is interesting is the second season's only half as long as the first season, mm. but it's so good, because the second season doesn't... Like, the first season has this whole period where they go through sort of an SVU, violence against women section at the beginning oh. that turns almost everyone away. Yeah. And I'm like, if you skip past those, like, six or seven episodes, or you just Wikipedia them, 
like so good. But second season, it's like, like yeah, because um, the main character Akane, she basically um, she was the rookie in the first one, and when you first start watching, you're kind of like, oh, is it about to be this thing where basically the cool dude ends up explaining shit to her all the time? But she is the main character. Okay. And the second one, it's great because I call her anti-Batman. <laughs> she works within the system that she knows is corrupt and fucked up. And she is doing everything she can to bend the rules or work within the rules to try and save as many lives as possible. And she will tell people to their face why the fuck shit needs to, you know, why the fuck things need to be the way they are. So, like, um, she's chasing down a criminal. And, like, normally the, the way in this dystopian future... They would just kill him, because he's been bombing people. And yeah. she basically, um, and, and the way, the premise of this is that everyone has, like, these super AI guns that can determine if you're the kind of person we can fix, you know, with therapy, or you just need to go. Mm. And so by the scan, the gun scanner, it's like, off him. And she tells her old team, she's like, don't shoot him. Gets him cornered, basically talks him down to where the scanner reads that he's like, oh, we might be able to fix him. Then shoots him. And, like... Her team is like, you know, her team knows her, but, mm-hmm. like, there's another team working with them, and they're all like, why did you do that? You sure just killed her. Why'd you waste time and risk lives and da 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 And, you know, because she knows they will not accept the fact of, like, we should just try to kill less people, mm-hmm. she explains it to him like this, we know he has an accomplice. If we kill him, we don't find that out. So she's doing all these things to work within the system, and it's just great. Like, oh, so, um... But linking it back, it's the fact that they're willing to make the second season half as long as the first season and tell a really good story in that time. I was just like, okay, you guys clearly have a good idea of what you're doing. Yeah. 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 You know, you have a beginning, middle, and end. Right. Which and it's like, you're not fucking around with, like, filler episodes and bullshit like that. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, goodness. Mm. Um, did you want to talk about some comics? Or I can talk about another anime, uh, which I'm really hyped about. Go. You're hyped um, about it, I want to hear about it. Um, so this is an anime my friend uh, recommended called Girls Monthly Nozaki-ku. Okay. It's a comedy romance. It's only like 12 episodes. Um, basically, this you know this high school thing, this girl tries to go holler at this dude, right? And she comes up, she's probably worked with the nerve to talk to him, and she's about to say, you know, hey, you know, let's date or something, and what comes out is, I've always been your fan. <laughs> and she doesn't realize he's actually a manga artist, and he writes shoujo manga. Oh. And so he's like, "Oh, okay." So he gives her an autograph, thinking that she's a fan of his comic. And you know, she's like, "Oh crap, that's not what I meant." So she's like, <laughs> "Try works up the nerve to try and like get that clear." And she's like, "I've always wanted to be with you." And he's like, oh, I need an assistant. And so she ends up becoming his assistant. And the best part, he's got like four or five assistants at the high school who are helping him out various parts, but none of them know they're, like, like they don't, very few of them actually know they're all working for him. <laughs> and so, like, you end up meeting all these characters, and the thing is, he's basing the drama off of people he knows, but they're all gender flipped. And what's oh. great is, is that... All the characters you meet in the anime here are actually gender flips of the normal shoujo tropes. Okay. So, like, you know, you've got, like, the, I won't tell you how I really feel kind of bratty character, but that's the dude. And then the, like, super charming suave prince is, like, is, like, the woman. And, like, she is known as the prince of the school. And girls are literally throwing themselves at her. Right? Like, Oh, my God, I love it. it. It's just great because they're doing all these flips and... Like, the comedy is just, like, it's, it's like, it's poking at it at the same time it's playing it out. Like, uh, my favorite episode is the, um, the, the manga artist and one of his homeboys, uh, his homeboy shows up and is like, oh, can I crash tonight? And the girl's like, oh, what do you guys, you know, what's, what's he gotta do that he's gotta stay over? And he's like, oh, he's gonna ask me about women troubles, right? <laughs> and she takes off, and the women troubles, this dude pulls out dating sim video games. Oh my god. Right? And he's like... And what's great is he tries to get the manga artist to play it, but the manga artist only understands them from shoujo tropes, whereas these are dating sims kind of aimed at dudes. So his idea of tropes are flipped. And, like, like his homeboys, like, tell him, like, okay, so when you play, you gotta go talk to your friend. He'll hook you up. And he's like, okay. He's like, but I don't trust him. Why? I don't trust anyone I meet who immediately calls me their friend. <laughs> you know, he's like, and, you know, he meets the, you know, he goes to the guy in the video game, and the guy in the video game's like, oh, shows them the, how much they love him rating, his popularity rates, and Here's two free movie tickets. And the guy's like, 
This guy seems to be helping me out a lot. Normally, the person who shows up randomly becomes your friend and helps you out secretly manipulating everyone to fuck you over. And his friend is like, his friend's like, no, no, that's not how it works in this game. Just, just keep playing. And so they show this montage of him constantly going back to his friend, right? And his friend is doing stuff like, like, here, I'll clean the house. You guys go out and have a good date. And there's one where he's like, stopping a gang from attacking in the video game, right? Mm-hmm. Like, go, oh, go see to your girl, right? And like, he's like, why is he so devoted? <laughs> I think he's in love with me. And, like, and like and the homeboy is like, no, that can't be true. And by the end, they show the end, and like, his, the homeboy in the game is like, like, you know, it was a great time at, a great time in high school. I'm so glad I met you. You guys be happy. And they're both sitting there crying, like, no, we love you. <laughs> and then they decide to make a comic about this. And so, like, homegirl shows up the next day, and they're all, like, zonked out tired, and she's like, it's like two in the afternoon. Why are you still asleep? What the fuck? And then she's like, she finds their comic, and it's like the you, the two characters are like the dude's like, I don't want to date any of those twelve other girls. I just want you. And she's like, What is happening? <laughs> I love it. So yeah, it's already completed. So um, you know, the only thing which is annoying is because it's a romance comedy, their romance never really develops. You know, yeah. So it's kind of annoying just because it's like, look, just holler at him. Like, right? Yeah. Just make it happen. Yeah. Um, so comic I love, and I, the Afterlife with Archie. Okay. Which I don't know if you've heard anything about this. I haven't heard about this specific one, but I know Archie's been spinning off a ton of AUs, which are amazing. Right? Archie's been working it the last couple years, like in a great way. I mean, they're Archie with Glee. I wasn't too excited about Is this about. the one where Archie is dead? The, no, no. Archie's still alive. Okay. Everyone else is dead. After yes, Afterlife with Archie, which started as a miniseries of four, I think, and they started it again, and I haven't caught up after the four. Is um, and it involves Sabrina, okay? Because Sabrina the, the witch, Sabrina the witch, because she is in there. Basically, Jughead's dog, hot dog, gets hit by a car. Okay, Jughead convinces Sabrina to bring him back. Is this the zombie one? Yes. Okay. Okay. And, and so Sabrina's like, no. This is dark. Like, okay. I can't do this. Her aunts are like, no. Okay. And Jughead is finally like, you know what? What would you do if it was Salem? And she's like, fuck. Okay, meet me in, in the graveyard. And she, like, takes the book, and they raise Hot Dog. Hot Dog, I don't, I don't remember if he, like, climbs out or they think it didn't work at first. Right. So but of course, Zombie Apocalypse comes out of this, right? Right? You think it didn't work, but the most interesting part is when Sabrina goes home, Salem has told the ants what she's what she's gone to do, and the ants banish her without her powers to another dimension to survive on her own. That's why I want to pick up five, because five is Sabrina trying to survive in the witch realm without powers. Ooh, okay. Yeah. So it's just like her Storm X-Men depowered arc. Yes. Yeah, and okay. her ants are dark, which reminds me, have you seen little segue, have you uh-huh. seen the Sabrina the Teenage Witch short movie that someone did online? Mm-hmm. We're gonna find it, we'll put it in the links or whatever. Okay. It's like eight minutes. Okay. And it's this little girl with her with her cat, and she's just, like, at the Ouija board talking to someone. Like, it's dark. Okay. It's hella dark. And the girl... I, I hear they're doing a live-action Sabrina. I'm like, get the person who did this short film, because it is amazing. Okay. But Afterlife, Hot Dog comes back, and Hot Dog bites bites Jughead, and Jughead becomes king of the zombies. Like, so he's... Jughead's always fucking shit so this is, of course, you know, appropriate, right? And there are hints that Jughead is still sentient. Okay. Because he sort of stops one from attacking Archie, like, but he hits the prom. Like, shit is going down, and basically it's a bunch of them trying to survive. Archie, I think, has to kill his parents. Um, It's Archie, Betty, Veronica, they're still alive. Veronica's butler is hardcore. Like, he's like, I've got the weapons, we're going to do this. And it's them trying to get out. Okay. Um, but the back, one of the backstories you find out is that Reggie's the one who hit Hot Dog while he was drunk. He was out hitting on, like, Midge, Moose's girlfriend. Right. Or yeah, yeah, he got he mistaken or whatever. Yeah, yeah. He got drunk, and he's the one who hit Hot Dog while he was driving drunk. Wow. And so he's got this whole guilt complex. It's... So, so it's basically like Walking Dead with Archie. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And in a really good way. I was like, I'm not usually into the zombie thing, but I like it when it's characters I know. Right. Um, so this makes me think of this really amazing uh, movie I watched this uh, a month or two back. It's a Chinese movie called Rigor Mortis. And mm. uh, it's, it's, what I, it's, it's one of those things where it was advertised incorrectly on Netflix. Um, so 
you know, it's it just appears to be Asian horror movie, right? Yeah. Amazing character drama and amazing retake on the Chinese hopping vampires. Really? Um, so what it is, is, um, first off, the actor they got used to do a whole bunch of the uh, Chinese vampire movies back in the 90s. Oh, okay. And he's playing a fictionalized version of himself. That's he's awesome. He's moving into this tenement because he's lost his family and his life is in shambles to commit suicide. And, you know, basically when he tries to hang himself, these ghosts try to possess him. A Dallas priest who's basically living there shows up and saves him. And it's like this whole tenement is full of haunted, fucked up shit, right? <laughs> like, like there's the good Dallas priest and the evil Dallas sorcerer who basically both live there. And it's sort of like one of those things where it's like, I don't like you, but I respect you, right? And it's like, it's like, um, you know how Kung Fu Hustle, how everyone was kind of like, you know, basically just like norm, normal people in their bathrobes and kind of like kind of janky. Yeah. That's what it is here, except <laughs> it's a whole bunch of supernatural shit going down. And what I love is that, um, although it's creepy because there's a ton of ghosts and weird shit, um, it's not jump scares, um, but the ghosts are creepy as fuck. Um, the, uh, and what it is, is it's almost like this allegory for sort of like the Buddhist reincarnation situation. Mm. Like, I, I, you know, they did kind of a sixth sense thing, and I'm like, I don't actually know how many people in the building are really alive. Oh. Or actually ghosts in sort of a purgatory situation. Fascinating. Because some of the people seem to interact with each other at different levels. Mm-hmm. Like, um, like the main character, the guy you're following, there's a woman and her kid who, you know, the woman is clearly disturbed and traumatized. Mm-hmm. Whenever she sees him, she turns her face away and is like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Like, good luck to you. Please go on. Oh, damn. Right? Um, but there's another woman who meets him who basically, uh, you know, seems like the nice auntie type, and she's like, she asks him this question, she's like, how long are you planning on staying here? Most people move on. And, like, there's all these loaded statements yeah. that you're like, hmm. What's actually happening? Right, but the thing, the other thing is, like, you know, uh, and the reason that made me think of this is the, the way you get this hopping vampire is this woman, um, the auntie ends up, like, trying to bring her husband back from death because oh. he dies. Um, he's murdered, but it looks like an accident, but, like, she, she tries to bring him back from the dead, and they have this incredible scene where she's basically, you know, he's 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 vampire zombie-eyed and can't, you know, he's basically not moving, mm-hmm. and she's just walking around him, like, trying to have this conversation with him, and it's so heartbreaking, because you can see how lonely she is, and it's amazing acting, and I was like, you know, normally when people bring stuff back from the dead, I'm like, this was just, you know, stupid and stupid, yeah. but I'm like, this was stupid, but you sold me on why you did this. Which is hard to do, right? Yeah, like, that. like, so it's on Netflix. It's really worth watching. Um, I give it five stars. I've showed it to at least two other friends. It's amazing. So, quick segue because you. Yes, this is this is just what it's going to be. Segue, yeah, to yeah. segue. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, at least we won't be short for content. Right? There you go. <laughs> so I don't know if you've ever read the Peter Klein series. It's like X heroes. X. It's superheroes and zombies. Okay. In Los Angeles, and okay. I got all four books. Because there was, like, a special sale, and it was, like, a bag of books for $5, and I right. shoved them all in my back. Right. Um, because people had been telling me about it. And so I started to read it, mm-hmm. and it's basically that, like, the zombies came, no one knows how. Mm-hmm. They sort of emerged at the same time superheroes were emerging and doing shit. Okay. And so a lot of the chapters are from different superheroes' point of view, going back to, like, before and during. They've, okay. they've basically taken over, I'm going to call it Paramount, because it's some big studio a lot. Mm-hmm. And they live there. With non-powered people, they basically have a society. Okay. So how, here's why it gets sketchy. Uh, here's why it gets sketchy. Because I actually liked a lot of their gender stuff. Mm-hmm. Their leader is a woman who never shows her face or body to anyone. Okay. When you get to her chapter, it's because she's so attractive that pe- people have always underestimated her, which I was like, okay, are we doing this? Uh-huh. But I also appreciate the fact that she's just like, you know what? I'm, I'm the rough and tumble leader. I will kill you if I have to. Okay. And she's the only non-powered superhero. Okay. She's just smart and physically able. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay. She's the Batman. She's Got the it. Batman. So I was like, all right. The The other female superhero that I enjoy is the mech operator. Okay. She's in the two-ton mech that has to be plugged in. She almost never comes out of it. Mm-hmm. She, I think she lost her children. Okay. She stays in it most of the time. Okay. And so there's like... And she has a crush on one of the one of the other superheroes. Okay. So there's stuff going on. As I was reading it, I started to realize there weren't any superheroes of color mm-hmm. 
in Hollywood. In Hollywood. In a fucking studio. Because even even though they may not be on screen, behind screen, there's a lot of people of color. Right? Yeah. And so then I realized there is one. Okay. Zap, who happens to be a black man who is um, disabled. He does not have use of his legs. Okay. He can transform to this thing that's pure energy. Okay. And fly and zap and blah, blah, blah. They use him as their power source when he's not out doing shit. He basically stays in this thing where he's powering the whole lot. And I'm like, well, that's a problem. Right. And then we get introduced to um, a young girl who is, I want to say she's Korean, Mm -hmm. 17 as a superhero. She's already dead in the modern times. We meet her in flashback. Okay. okay. The one bit I did like is that when her, I think when her parents find out, they have more issue with the name she took, which was Bonsai. <laughs> They're like, you're not Japanese. Like, that, that's actually extremely valid. Right? right? Like, especially yeah. Bonsai. Right? And part of it is because her power was that, like, she, it was that whole, like, speedball thing where when she moved fast and bounced, she got yeah, more yeah. energy. Yeah. Then you come to find out she was only 17. And involved in a sexual and romantic relationship with one of the older white heroes. Like, I'm just like, ooh, it's that trope again? And she's not even alive. And then we meet the villains. Because there are gangs that are, like, out in Los Angeles, like, taking people. Out. Some of them had developed superpowers of their own. Right. That's when we get the descriptions of all the people of color. Oh, so it's not even a matter of erasure as, like, I just didn't think about putting these people in as much as, oh, they're over there. They're over there. They're the villains. They're the gang members. Um, They're the ones keeping people in cages to be transformed and stuff. And I just, I I was done. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't finish the first book. I didn't go to books two, three, and four. I had no interest after that. I feel like that's one of the things that I'd rather have a book tell me it's fucked up within the first couple chapters so I don't waste time. As opposed to get involved and a little invested and then find out it's fucked up. Exactly, because um, I actually liked some of the characters. Like, one of the main characters, the Mighty Dragon, is basically a geek who yeah. can, like, hop really high and shoot fire out of his mouth. And he's just like, uh... And that's that's also how I feel about anime. Like, mm-hmm. the problem is because anime desensitizes. Like, you, you learn to have a higher bullshit tolerance ratio that you put up with way more shit. Yeah. And then by the time you realize this isn't going to get better, or, like... Oh, you were taking it here all along. You're just like, fuck you. Yeah. Like, oh god, I'm trying to remember what was the anime. Oh, Fractale. Mm. Fractale. Very interesting sci-fi premise. Mm-hmm. It is uh, far in the future. People have to, people have got cybernetics to where they have uh, implants that you can basically like your internet screen is in your eyes. Okay. And so what happens? I'm is, waiting for that myself. Well, what happens is aside from being very useful for communicating information is that people also have AIs that they use as substitutes for themselves. Oh. So instead of, let me do my work, well, actually, I'll just let my copy do the work, mm. and I'll just be, you know, and your copy is just a virtual version of you, right? And so his kid is basically being raised by virtual versions of his parents. Oh, that's fucked up. His parents are out vacationing, having fun, and he's got his virtual versions of his parents, which I'm like, this is fucked up and interesting. Yeah. Um, and what's really fucked up and interesting is that you find out how dystopian, like, Aside from that, it's even more <laughs> dystopian in that every day at a certain hour, you're supposed to go outside and look in the sky so that basically these passing satellite can download your updates into you, right? And so uh, everybody, they call it going out to do prayer. Uh, and so like, I'm like, okay, this is really interesting. Yeah. And, and of course, they have rebels and shit. And uh, the anime trope is this girl who apparently was living in space with the controlling class escapes and she lands on Earth, right? Okay. And of course, it runs into the dude and... You know, whatever. And the thing is, is throughout the anime, she's kind of very naive and goofy, and it's sort of like one of those things where you're like, yeah, but that's an anime girl trope, and if I was lived cloistered in a fucking, like, weird fascist society, I might be fucked up too. And then you come to the end where you find out the reason she's this way is because she's basically been traumatized, she's been raped. And left with the mentality of a six-year-old. So it's not anime silly. It's actually, no, she's supposed... This is supposed to be not normal. But I'm like, why is no one else acknowledging the fact that she's acting not normal? And then, the very end, you know, where they overthrow stuff and yada yada, which is supposed to be a happy end. Like, you have a period where she gets lucid and, like, has full adult capabilities. Yeah. But basically, the very end, she's regressed. And she's... uh, Or, you know, she had the mentality of a ten-year-old. Now she's shoved back to the mentality of a six-year-old. And, like, is in love with dude. And I'm like, so basically this is someone's fucked up pedo fantasy. 
and that's supposed to be a happy ending. And I watched how many episodes of this bullshit, thinking you were going to give me something decent, and you fucked me over in the end with this fucked up misogynistic bullshit. Yeah. Right? Um, like, in comparison, at least, like, that, uh, the Michael Stackpole book that you had, uh, oh, me, the, uh... The, uh, the fucked up British magic... Yeah, in, I, uh, it's actually right over there, like, on the bottom. Oh, yeah. What's it called? At the Queen's Command. At the Queen's Command, yes. The point when, like, basically three or four chapters in, the Native Americans turn out to say, unlike you white people, us Indians only run on lust, not love. Yeah. And I was like, okay, I know to throw the book now. Like, like is everything else that was kind of sketchy that I thought, maybe this is, you know, unreliable narrator. Nope, this is just fucked up. But like, isn't it like they straight up say there's no word for love in our language? This is something deep. I was just up. like, mm. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to say no. Yeah. I'm going to say no. Um... Yeah, once once the native... Yeah. This is the problem with people who do alternate histories where they're, like, settling America. I told you about that that Paul Park book, Princess of Romania. I, oh, God. I, okay, so I wanted to like it, uh-huh. um, because it's about a young girl in high school with friends, and it turns out that she's actually a princess that's been hidden in America, and I was like, okay, interesting. Right. Um, well, we come to find out that her whole world... The whole world that she's in is um, a book that they've hidden her in. It's magic. Okay. The only two real people are her two best friends, the, okay. the boy and the girl. Okay. When the book is burned and they all come through in the real world, the boy looks the same except one of his arms is like an adult arm because you find out he's like an old general. Her female best friend has turned into a dog, is a yellow dog that is her buddy. And I was still like, okay, I'm going to still give you a chance. I'm going right. to still give you a chance. And then you realize they're on the coast, the eastern coast of America, because that's where they were when they burned the book. There's no settlements. There's no people. There's nothing. So I'm like, okay, so this is like, Europe never came here. There's just going to be a bunch of native folks. Then they're attacked by blonde-haired, blue-eyed, cannibalistic natives who are supposedly the remains of, like, Roanoke, who bred into the tribe. And I was like... But if they bred into the tribe, they wouldn't be freaking cannibals. Like, Number one, they sure as hell wouldn't have blonde hair and blue eyes. Right. Because those are recessive genes. Right. Like, what the fuck are you doing? It was one of those books where I finished it just because I liked the villainess more than anyone else in the book. I was just like, yeah. she's on point. The rest of you, how am I going to cheer for this? Right. Uh, uh, alternate history. Uh. Right? Some of it can be done amazing. I, I love an alternate history that's done well. I yeah. love it. And then there's some where I'm like, and to give credit, there are some alternate histories that are fucked up specifically to show you something. Right. But, but, but there's a difference between coming at something critically and mm-hmm. just like, oh, this is cool. This is how it's supposed to be. Yeah. Right? Like, that's a very big difference. It's a very big difference. And it's colonialist attitude. And right. it's this, like, white man's burden. Right. So, like, and, and also an obsession. Like, this idea that you're going to have the white character meld into these natives or this group of people. Right. And then they're going to be the best. And then they're going to be better than any of the natives, even though they've only had six weeks of training. Right. And it's this sort of, like, I'm going to immerse this person in this tribal life because I oh. had a Cherokee princess ancestor called it, it's, 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 Pigeons, it's, Parks, it's like and Trees. Voyeurism. Right? Yeah. It's, the, it's the tourism. It right? is. It's the it's fantasy totally. tourism. It's like, oh, well, what I want to do is I want to, like, I want to have the magical projection I have of what these people are supposed to live like, and I'm going to make it because, obviously, every time I talk to a Native person, they get really angry at me. Or I'm just scared of them entirely. Yes. <laughs> like, I'm going to make this world where the Native people will appreciate how nice and white I am. And then, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And it's like, you know what? There's nothing wrong with basing a country on, like, another country. Right. As long as you, number one, do research. And number two, actually treat those characters like human beings. Right. They're they're not closer to nature because they're brown. Right. They're not magical because they're brown. They can be be magical for other reasons. Right. But it's this whole idea that, like, oh, eyes close to the earth. That's why I didn't finish watching the Pirates of the Caribbean. I was like, I can't with this whole black mystical... Let me show you the way, and that's the only way we can. All the black black people stand in the swamp. I'm like, first off, they're leeches. Second off, gators. Where are you? It's like, why would you stand in the swamp holding candles? Like, for this white man you don't know. Right. 
You have, and did you notice that none of the white people want to touch the water when they right. get out of the cabin? They're like, careful not to step foot in that water. But all the brown people dressed in white just stand in there. Right. Because we got to honor him. No. Yeah. No. Well, it's interesting because I think specifically about the honoring. That's a really big thing I see in it these is. movies. Um, that was actually the thing that was like one of my big push buttons on Kill Bill. Mm-hmm. Um, so when uh, Lucy Liu dies. Yes. So so it's not that she, it's not only that she gets killed, but it's very much that she has to acknowledge, you're a true warrior. Like there has to be an emotional submission before she dies. Yeah. Which a lot of these people are really fixated on, like, you have to acknowledge my superiority. That's really important to their narratives. That's the most important part of the narrative. And it's just like, no, I I don't, number one. And number two, there actually isn't... uh, So, um... There's there's another book I was trying to read Mm -hmm. called Orbis by Scott McKay. Okay. Which actually sounds interesting. Okay. It's basically that... um, And I'm going to keep reading it. It hasn't thrown me out to... I just took a pause. Right. Um, But basically, the whole world is Christian. Okay. Because 2,000 years ago, the benefactors showed up. Okay. And they presented themselves as the angels of God. They basically took okay. Christianity and ran with it. I think you told me, aren't they aliens? They are they? aliens. Okay, and then there's some, like, holdout groups that are kind of like... No. Oh. Well, there's some resistance on Earth, okay. but what happens is apparently when they showed up, the only the only group that wouldn't succumb and believe in them were the Romans. And I was like, wait, really? There were, there were empires in Africa, in Asia in America 2,000 years ago that were huge. Right. And the Romans are the only ones who resisted them. All right, I'm going to keep reading. And, and I was there, like, there's, of course, there's no, like, syncretism that yeah. people would do because people might go, you guys clearly have powers and shit we can't do, so you're clearly magical on some level, but we think you fit in the cosmology differently. Or yeah. we worship these other things along with it. Well, we stay in, like, uh, so far, I can't say, I haven't read the whole book, but so right. far we stay in America, so it's uh-huh. a very, like, Western Christian uh-huh. thing. And the whole idea that, and granted, I here's what's driving me crazy. Mm-hmm. The Romans escape. They're in space somewhere because they steal some of the technology, and they go. Which I'm like, okay. So but, maybe, but I feel like so many other people would steal the technology. Right? <laughs> including people who worship them. Right? Right? Like, because even if you're worshipped, you'll still be... There's still going to be sketchy people, right? Exactly. And so I'm like, wait a minute. The Romans... And granted, you can't... It's a a history that the benefactors have crafted. Okay. So they don't let people talk about the Romans. Latin's outlawed. And so I'm like, okokay, maybe there was more resistance. If Latin's outlawed, I feel like so many languages would also have to change. Right. But, but, you know, this is me overthinking, right? Yeah, no. (laughs) Don't think too hard. (laughs) Right. And then we flash on the Romans, because they're in space, Uh trying to find Earth, because they lost their way. They had stolen technology. They didn't know what they were doing with it. And so they're trying to find their way back to Earth. Meanwhile, they've enslaved other races. Like, they've kept their culture the same. So, like, when you meet them, they're enslaving people on this planet. Wow. So it's basically two slave master groups fighting each other, right? Exactly. Which is part of why I'm keeping reading, because he's not shying away from that. So I'm assuming that there's something that's going to happen. Because the people on Earth sort of worship the, the resistance, sort of worships the Romans. They're like, we need to get in contact with them. They'll come and save us and da-da-da. Whereas and, they're just looking to be your slave masters. Yeah. Right? And so I'm like, there has to be some sort of shit coming to a head. And so I'm like, I will keep reading. But it's just one of my pet peeves that I'm like, only the Romans. Not so, the Empire in Mali. Not the Empire in America. Not the not the Aztecs. The Mayan. No one. Well, well, here's the other thing. It's like, if Latin's outlawed, Arabic becomes your, like... Arabic and French, right, yes. become your two big, like, or Arabic, French, and, like, like Chinese, right? Yeah. Like, those become the global languages, if right. you can't, but it seems that, like, they outlawed Latin and none of the Latin languages. Right, which, which is seems, also, yeah. It's odd, right? It's yeah. like, why would you outlaw Latin but not languages derived from it that have That are words pretty goddamn close, right? Right, and so there's, there's interesting stuff. It's three point of views. A young girl who is, um... A resistance. She runs a resistance. Her fiance is training to become a priest for the benefactors. Okay. The the, the her fiance's hut, a father who is like the local whatever bishop, but's been passed over for promotion. And his dirty secret is he likes to read Latin aloud. He has books okay. on Latin. Okay. And then one of them is a benefactor who's taken over the son's body, and no one knows. Oh, so they can possess people. It's implied that this is a new skill they've gotten. That this uh. is something that, like, because it's this, it's this weird um, 
there's this weird benefactor who's been following her, uh-huh. like, sitting outside her house, and whenever she tries to interact with him, he's like, I just want you to trust me. And so now I'm not sure if that's her fiancé in this body. Okay. And I don't know what's happening, so I'm going to keep reading. Yeah, and then decide. And yeah. then decide, but that Rome shit just pissed me off. I was just like, really? Um, I want to hit one more thing before yeah. we close up. So I did see the last Hobbit movie. Mm-hmm. I'm not really going to go deep into the movie, because, I mean, it's basically an silly action film. Which yeah. The Hobbit movies have been, and I'm cool with that. Um, but it made me think about some interesting ways to look at Tolkien, mm-hmm. right? Um, so basically the one thing that they did do well is that basically um, the elves are basically shitty. Like, in, in, you know, like, everyone's like, oh, pretty elves. But mm-hmm. like, they're pretty much the people fucking each other over for no reason. And, you know, <laughs> so, like, I'm watching it, you know, the... Um, you know, the, the take in which they've done on this is that, you know, the dwarves are the dwarves are getting shysty because the, the gold is cursed, mm-hmm. right? As opposed to the dwarves just simply being shysty because the dwarves are nasty to each other by canon. Yeah. Um, but, you know, like, the gold is cursed. And, like, you know, when the elves show up to be like, we want our, our cut, too, I'm sort of like, well, if the gold is cursed, they have a reason to be acting wild. Y'all are just showing up just to show up. Mm-hmm. Um, but the thing it made me think of was because um, the, the big deal is the Basically, the super jewel, right? Like, yeah. uh, that everyone's like, ooh, and, and the way in which magic stuff always corrupts people in mm-hmm. Tolkien. Um, and it made me think about the fact that all of the uber magic stuff is basically a piece of the divine. Mm. And sort of like putting the divine into material objects to be to be possessed yeah. is naturally corrupting because, you know, and I was like, it's kind of this interesting read that makes you think about in terms of like the Tower of Babel. Yeah. You know, you can't reach spiritual goals by physical means. Yeah. By its nature, it's a bad idea. <laughs> you can't, yeah, you can't use material things to achieve spiritual enlightenment. Right, and it's like the, the Cimmerils are effectively oh crap, well, this beautiful thing of divine nature we got is going to fade away. Let's, let's find a way to keep it. And like, yeah. Just to dim bomb to that, I didn't know if you saw um, Michael Moorcock had a feature in The New Yorker. Okay. And the focus of the feature was about how much he dislikes Tolkien and how he's the anti-Tolkien because he... Was this like a couple years ago? No, was it? Like a year or two ago? I saw it just a couple days ago, but I could totally be behind. Okay. Um, Well, he tends to do a lot of I I hate things because of rants. Well, and it wasn't a rant. It was an interview. And basically, his critique of Tolkien is right. He's like, I look at it as this middle-class pastiche where nothing changes, nothing's revolutionary, it's there and back again, right. and nothing changes. And the whole, and I was like, real. That's 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 actually a really good the, point. The, the only minor defense I will put towards that is given the fact that he was in, you know, one of the great wars. Yes. You know, pretty much the idea of, hey guys, let's not go to war. Yeah. Like, let's just enjoy our homes. Like, I get I get that value. But, no, I totally get that value. But, oh, it's so full of racism. Right? Like, like I mean, just overt racism. Like, Everyone's like, well, it's not really racist. I'm like, uh, I think it's like Burry Gone Burry is the character's name, who speaks in broken language. Oh, my God. And it's very clearly the, the Native American projection or the primitive. Well, like, and also the evil people to the east that ride elephants and have pointed shoes. Right. Well, and, and, then, and so this was the thing that I cracked up in the movie, because like I was laughing at a whole bunch of inappropriate times. Yes. I have context. <laughs> right? So there's one point Gandalf is captured again. And basically, you have a wizard beatdown fight where all the, the wizards show up to save him, mm-hmm. and so does um, what's her name, um, um, Gladriel. Okay, Gladriel actually gets to be kind of awesome. Um, that's cool. So you know the the um, the ring race show up, and and Sauron in a form shows up. It's basically like it basically just says the East is going to fall. We're going to fuck you all over. You can't do shit, right? Okay. Like like basically, he just comes out and says that. And Gladriel does basically what I call the post epic turn undead. Basically, she gets all dark and cray and like, it's like, you'll leave. And then you see them flop, get basically thrown to the fucking horizon. <laughs> right? So I was like, awesome. But I'm also like, so by putting this in the prequel, uh, you know, to, to the main movie series, you basically said, Sauron says, I am going to fuck an entire majority of the world. And the rest of the, like, wizards are basically like, oh well. Like, <laughs> That's what happens. Em, fuck them. Yeah. Like, like, I'm like, no, now that you knew what was going on, you now have a responsibility to do something, because you guys are the angels God left behind to fix shit. Yeah, you don't just get to write them off. Right. Well, and also that's part, I think part of it has to do with Tolkien, I mean, there are parallels 
in Tolkien and C.S. Lewis in terms of the way they portray people of color. Right. Like, I have never forgiven C.S. Lewis for that whole point where it's like, um, I can't remember the race name, but they're the, the Calamorians or something. They're the yeah. ones with the pointed shoes right. who worship Tosh. Uh-huh. The point that you get that they're like, oh, Tosh is a devil. They're just worshiping the devil. They're like, but if you're a good Calamorian and you've been worshiping ta- ta- uh, Tash, you've been worshiping Aslan all along. And I was like, so you just supplanted their religion. Wow. You just decided their religion was the devil. But if they were good, then even when they were pr- praying to this evil god, the prayers were actually going to your Christian god. To Jesus, because that's, that's what Aslan is. To that's, Jesus. That, that's like the whole Mormon, I'm going to make you Mormon after you're dead move. Right? Right? Like, you don't get to rebaptize my ass. I'm a heathen and I like it. The end. Right. Yeah, no. Yeah. Oh. And so actually, it's, um, it's funny because a lot of my friends have been starting to like try and find more POC focal things in terms of, um, in terms of both like fantasy in movies and books, but like, uh, a lot of folks right now, there's a discussion about role-playing games. And mm. Unfortunately, most of the discussion is really terrible. Yeah. Um, because it's like, it's all the usual bad shit people are saying about cultural food. Well, who gets to own the culture? Blah, 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 blah. And it's, it's just like, you know, it's all the things where it's like you have overtly racist shit. And yeah. people are doing this derail. It's like, we can talk about free speech, but we can't talk about free speech when someone is burning a cross on someone's lawn. Like, like, like is an act of terrorism. You talking about free speech is bullshit. Yeah. Right? Like, this whole discussion? Yeah, no. Yeah, yeah. Who gets to own a culture? Well, no one gets to own it, but your graspy fingers don't get to own everything either. Like, every culture is not there for you to pick and choose from. I mean, you know, the real question is, like, why are you so adverse to actually depicting things in a way that doesn't piss people off? Right? (laughs) Why are you adverse to depicting your own history? And it's not like the West or Christianity doesn't have its own mysticism, doesn't have its own Gnostic Gospels. Right. It's not like there aren't pre-Christian religions that have that. Right. Like, there's all this you could pull on. Right. And it doesn't have to be the same old thing because there are new aspects. No no one represents something the same way. Right. And, like, um, one of the people I point to is uh, Stina Lecht mm-hmm. and her series, um, I think the first one is of Blood and Honey. Mm-hmm. And it's fairies. And, you know, everyone's going to say fairies are overdone, blah, blah, blah. She sets it in 1970s Northern Ireland. Okay. And it's basically playing on the Irish myth. Yeah, she sets it in Derry. And it's playing on the Irish myth that the fairies are the angels who neither follow God or the devil and simply went to Earth. Okay. And it's the fae versus the fallen. And the main character is this guy who's not only involved in the violence of the Northern Ireland 1970s, also doesn't know who his father is, is getting... um, taken in by this, like, organization that's fighting the fallen angels. Right. I was like, this is super interesting. This is a take on it that I have never seen before. And you've managed to mix history and folk in a really great way. Right. And I'm like, everyone can do that if you really want to. And and that's the thing that gets me is also, like, I feel like when I see games try to do, like, this historical stuff, the problem is, like, okay, yes, obviously there's, let's do history as real history. Yeah. Which can be really intense. Or let's do fun history, which is like, we're going to scrape out the unfun parts. Yeah. But what I think is really interesting is the way in which, if you do fun history, the way in which you also scrape out people of color completely or replace them with, like, stereotypes. Yeah. And I'm like, so basically what you're saying, us existing is unfun, right? Like, this is why I have this aversion to a lot of steampunk. Right. Because I'm like, okay, you're honoring the British Empire at this time when they were enslaving, what, 50 million, 60 million people of color? Right. Like, when all this shit was going on and you're not even going to touch on it? So there's a game which I need to get back to, uh, me and my friends have been playing, which is basically Mughal Empire Steampunk. Mm. Where they're basically trying to play off, like, like, their local allies, the British. The British are clearly, like... The British have shown up as quote-unquote allies with their giant flying steam fortress in the Uh-oh. port and have occupied the port. Uh-uh. And they're trying to build their, their pneumatic railway underground so that for trade reasons. And so what's great is you have all these characters trying to play for their own things. Like, um, one player, she's basically playing the princess who does not want to get married, mm-hmm. but there's a whole bunch of political reasons that would be very good for her to get married. Okay. Um, but the thing is, she's the keeper of their library. So, so part of the thing is that what we've done is we said, if you have steampunk technology, it's not just the British who have it. Yeah. Everyone has something. And so the way we're doing it is, so like, 
for like um, basically the Mughals and the Indians, their stuff is all water based. Oh, okay. so it's water pressure, etc. Whereas like the British is all coal and stuff. So it's like like so they have like this uber library of technology and stuff yeah. that she is in control of. So she has access to the history, yeah, and the um, power and the technology. One of the other players, basically, his thing is he's he's an Indian engineer who kind of knows both technologies, and so he's trying to play both sides of it because he lost his status at another kingdom and basically got exiled here. And so he's sort of like, yeah, I really want to be known for making great things, but these people are kind of also colonizing. So he's got to figure out his hustle, right? And that's the thing, is I think that I like a steampunk aesthetic, and there are right. definitely people do it. N.K. Jemison short story, the effluent F- F- engine, I've never mm-hmm. been able to pronounce that word, or a Katarina Setia's book, Heart of Iron. Mm-hmm. Like, there are people doing it good with, like, people of color history and stuff. It's just hard to... Okay, so I'm going to... Gail Carriger okay. has a new series coming out. Uh, she had that one series, Solace, okay. which I read the first book... <clears throat> There was a world-breaking moment for me at the end of the second, and I didn't read anymore. Okay. Um, I really liked her YA series, which was, like, Kids in Assassin School. I love Kids in Assassin School. You know, it's one of my lit kinks. Okay. But then this new series follows the daughter of the character from the first Soulless, because they're okay. all set in the same world. Okay. And I was like, you know what? I got an arc of it. I was like, okay, I'm interested. And then I read the back, and it's about her visiting India. Uh... And the only mention we have is that she's looking for a... Where will she find a good cup of tea? Like, there's no mention of, like... Seriously? And here's the thing. that The book itself could totally actually, like, be good and talk about colonialism and stuff like that. But the back copy alone, I was just like... A good fucking cup of tea? Well, she's always in search of a good cup of tea. That's, like, her mother's thing and her thing. Like, it's this... It's something that, like, that series is sort of centered around. And, I mean, we're drinking tea right now. Yeah. tea, but still. But still. Yeah, yeah. we're having some good tea right now, but that's... And also, I just feel like one of the things that sort of annoyed me about the first series is that the main character's half English and half Italian. Uh-huh. A lot of the focus of the series, or a lot, not a lot of it, I shouldn't say that. There's not a lot of the focus, but some of the focus is on her unmarriageability, not only because she's 26, but because she's, like, darker and Italian-looking. Okay. And I'm like, uh, okay. It's the same thing with, um... Jacqueline Carey, when she did her first trilogy, and you have the main character have sex with a half-Italian guy, and she's like, he's so dark and coarse. And I'm like, okay, so if you're saying that about Italian folks, how do you feel all the people of color who are reading it feel that way? Like, how do you feel about all the people of color who are reading this book? And so that's, I, I think it can get a little sketch. And this is not to say that they're fucked up people or they're horrible people. I'm just saying that these things turn me off for these reasons. Right. And I was just like, Okay, not not for me. It's always sad when it's a when it's a book or a story or something that otherwise is good. Yeah, like I watched this anime, and I think this will be the last thing we do because we're probably like going on forty five minutes. I know, right? Uh, we're probably at an hour already. But uh, uh, so I watched this anime series, which is good in so many ways, except the racism, which is Megai. Um, tons of oh. my friends got into this like two or three years ago, and mm-hmm. I never got into it, but it hit Netflix, and you know, I was like, I need something to watch. Storytelling is great in so many ways. Um, so, very fantasy version of um, taking like Arabic tales. Okay, you've got uh, Sinbad, you've got Alibaba. You know, you've got all these characters whose names are basically taken from this, but so distant that you, you pretty much just took the names and taped it on. It is a world with magic, um, specifically in that you, as a normal person, cannot do magic unless you have a magic item. And the magic items you get by clearing dungeons, right? And at the center of every dungeon, there's a genie. And if you clear it, the genie will basically transfer into an item, and then you take the item out, and the, the, the thing disappears, and you get riches, and you have this thing with powers, right? Okay. And what you have is basically fictionalized versions of real-world empires. Um, so you've got the fictionalized China, mm-hmm. which is conquering a lot of shit. You've got your fictionalized Rome. Like, all these different countries, and the shit's going down. So all that is really interesting because they do a lot of real-world politics in it. Like, mm-hmm. people using currency to destabilize economies Uh-oh. and, like, really smart political yeah. shit along with the magic. Except every character is light-skinned. Like, the, like uh... even the, the one group who uh, basically are super strong and shit and, like, 
they come from basically fictionalized Africa, but they're all white as, as fuck, and they're all redheads. And, like, I'm, like, you know, just sitting here, like, uh, uh, uh. And then we got to the part that just made me go, are you serious? <laughs> Which is, there is a nation of mages, right? Okay. Um, they're, the, they're the few people who can just do magic without having to have a magic item. They were originally oppressed, okay? Okay. You know, and they, they basically um, decided... You know, we're actually going to organize a formal system of understanding magic to improve how well we can do magic. Cool. They did that. They overthrew the people who were oppressing them, and they basically formed this uber utopian society, except one. Their magic, basically, to power all this uber magic, they have all the non magic people kept under their city where they're draining them of magic. Which, if you're drained of too much magic, you start getting sick and dying. Oh, Jeebus. Okay, so I'm like, first off, that. And here's the real big part. All of them are dudes with long, curly hair who don't cut it, and they call the people who can't do magic goys. No! And I'm just like... No! And they end up kicking off the thing that, you know, could bring about Armageddon. And I'm like, really? Evil, magic-oppressing Jews are, are, are like... Wow! Right! Wow! And it's just like... Like, everything else you gave me just a veneer of, of like, it's kind of this culture, but not really. But I'm like, really? Evil magic super Jews? Wow. That, wow, that's a lot. Yeah, and that's um, where I was just kind of like, like, because at first I was like, okay, you have a dystopian society, but you might be able to make this. Yeah. Like, like, because every society they've shown has been fucked up. So at least I was like, but really? You're really just going to paint them that clearly as the evil super Jews. Okay. Well, I think we should end our first episode on the evil super Jews. Um, and uh, please don't do shit like that. Yeah, <laughs> please don't create shit like that. Yes. Um, we talked a lot longer than we planned. Well, this happens. This happens. It's going to happen to us all the time. But, um, yeah. good job, man. All right, man. Yay!